so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Our message is a word. And our duty is to preach it. To speak to others what God has spoken to us and given us in the scripture. And hundreds of millions have never had the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my dear friend, we, we, we must be dynamic in our evangelism. How many souls have you passed in one for Christ this year? It's a humbling thing to come to the foot of the cross and repent of your sins and receive Christ. But I tell you, no man shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless he comes. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. If you have a Bible, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, or you can follow along on the screen. What an incredible series. We have heard four amazing voices, four totally different voices. I feel like we've been challenged in some incredible ways. And so what do you do at the end of a series where you listen to some voices that have spoken into your life? Well, I think what you do is you find your own voice, you figure out how can I make a difference the way that some of the folks that we've listened to have made a difference. And so that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. I've got to say, it's awfully good to be back. Do you remember who I am? Uh, It's good to be back and uh, excited about what the Lord's going to do uh, in this message. I'm going to share a lot of my story uh, this weekend and about how I found my voice And hopefully in that process, uh, it's going to help all of us. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me 
What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. Verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but it they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that every once in a while I try to remind you that you don't need to hear a thing I have to say, but we all need a word from the Lord, don't we? And I think somewhere between words leaving our lips and hitting the eardrums of those who might be on the listening side, the Holy Spirit has a way of anointing words and translating a simple sentence into something that could transform someone else's life into a prophetic word that could alter someone else's destiny. This week, I spent some time with a couple of Division I basketball coaches I've read a couple of my books. They flew into town. And I've rarely experienced more spiritual hunger. One of the coaches is a new believer. And when I began to talk, I actually had more questions for them. But, but they just kept asking questions. And they opened up their notebooks. I swear this guy took 10 pages of notes in about two hours. He was just writing voraciously and just asking questions, like simple questions. At one point, I said something about how, you know, the Bible wasn't meant to be read. It was meant to be prayed. And they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm like, well, when you read to a certain point, like you you stop reading, you start praying about it. They're like, give us an example. I said, all right, well, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's plenty to talk about. And so then you begin to kind of confess to the Lord your sin, and then you thank him that there is no condemnation, that your sin is forgiven and forgotten. And if you get real bold in your prayer, then you just rebuke the accuser of the brethren. Let him know that he has no territory and no authority because you're a child of God. You don't just read it, you pray it. And they're like, give us another one. I'm like, okay. And so then we're like, The Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans that can't be uttered. I'm like, guys, that means that before you woke up today and after you go to bed tonight, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. I mean, that changes the way that you wake up and the way you go to sleep at night. And they're like, keep going. I'm like, all right, all things work together for good. And then the love God, we almost made it through all of Romans 8. And at the end of it, it was just this awesome moment where we felt like we had somehow been in the presence of God. The next day, he emailed me and said, yesterday was a life-changing experience for me. Thank you for spending time with us and sharing. When I prayed last night and this morning at 6 a.m., it felt totally different. 
I'm on a mission to be a line chaser. I love it. I love it. You know what? I don't think it had anything to do with me. Because if all they heard were my words, they're forgettable. But something happens when you begin to speak the word of God. Because the word of God doesn't return void. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is inspired. And the same Holy Spirit that inspired those words can take those words and transform your life with them. Four times in Jeremiah 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to me. 123 times in the Old Testament. What does that mean? Let's talk about it. Listen, I think everybody wants to be heard, right? You know, when you're a little kid, like you just kind of, you want, you want to be a part of the conversation. You want your voice to be heard. And then like, you know, as you get into a, a workplace or a meeting or something, you know, you, like you want your voice to count. You want to feel like people are listening to you. Um, and, and so all of us want to be heard, but, but I'm concerned that we live in a culture that wants a platform but has nothing to say. And so when we're talking about finding your voice, I'm not talking about like increasing the number of followers you have on Twitter. I'm not talking about 15 minutes of fame. What I'm talking about is have something to say. Well, how do you have something to say? Well, you get into God's word. When you open the Bible, God opens his mouth and begins to speak to you. And then you have something to say. Don't worry about people listening to you. If you listen to God, people will listen to you. And I'll tell you why. Because you will have something to say. Listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit through his word, through prayer and, and fasting. Maybe here's what I'm trying to say. And if you're taking notes, this might be worth jotting down. If you want to find your voice, you need to hear the voice of God. I think it's as simple as that. And so it's not so much about having a prophetic voice. Now, I pray this for my kids, and I pray this for each one of you. Well, what, so that I would be able to predict the future? No, that's not what the word prophecy or prophetic means in its fundamental sense. It's speaking words of strengthening, comfort, or encouragement, 1 Corinthians 14, but doing it in a way that's beyond your human wisdom or discernment. And God takes those words and you speak them and somehow it's quickened to people's spirit and, and it's like, um, it's like life giving to them. And they hear it and it changes them. And so, you know, I, I pray for my kids that they would have a prophetic voice. Now, does that mean I'm praying that they'll grow up and be a preacher? No. <laughs> when I say prophetic voice, what I'm saying is, I don't care if you're a preacher, politician, entrepreneur, entertainer, athlete, journalist, teacher, you need a prophetic voice. Parents, how many parents? Parents, you are prophets to your children. You need a prophetic voice to speak into the life of your children at critical points. And so I'm praying for my kids that they would have a prophetic voice. But if you want to know what I've been praying over and over and over again since the very beginning of the year, since a coffee date with Laura when we made a prayer list for our kids, and I felt like one of the big things is that 
our kids would have the ear of Samuel. And then I've thought about that and prayed it, but I'm just praying that they would have a prophetic ear to be able to hear what the still small voice of the Spirit is saying so then they have a voice that's worth listening to. Matthew 10, 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. I love that. You got to have a prophetic ear if you want to have a prophetic voice. By the way, there's sin in your life. You will turn a deaf ear to God. And I'll tell you why. There's two reasons, really. One is because you don't really want to hear the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. So you'll try to tune that out a little bit. But the other issue is this. Sin really is a relational distance from God at its very core. And so the more you sin, the more distance there is between you and God. And ultimately, if you get so far away from God, it is really hard to hear his voice. But if you want to hear his voice, guess what? All you need to do, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And immediately, you're back in right relationship with him. And if you want to hear his voice better, get closer. And then closer and closer and closer so that you know his voice. I don't have time to read it, but read John 10. How the sheep know the voice of of the shepherd, almost like I know Laura's voice. I know her tones. I know what they mean, and she knows what I mean. Listen, even our dog Mickey knows the tone of my voice. You know, if it's a happy Mickey or Mickey, he knows the tone of my voice. In the same way, you begin to learn the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was so impacted on my trip to Ethiopia uh, about a month ago, uh, we spent time with uh, Pastor Zeb and uh, the church, Beza, and he was telling me about a group of, of 12 leaders within the church, uh, incredibly influential, uh, not just in Ethiopia, but on the African continent. We're talking about uh, leaders in the African Union. We're talking about some of the leading uh, medical doctors in the country, uh, a real estate developer that I had a chance to meet that's building a, uh, a um, crazy, a, a housing development around a golf course. I think it'll be the only PGA uh, golf course um, in East Africa, something like that. Forgive me, that might not be 100% African, but it's close. Um, I said, Zeb, tell me about these guys. He said, well, here's the deal. These guys love the Lord. And I believe that the reason why God's using them so powerfully is that one day a week, they don't even go into the office. Like, what? Like, yeah. He said they stay home and they spend the day in prayer and fasting. All of them. Wait, so you're telling me real estate developer, medical doctor, politicians across the board, and we're not going into the office. We're going to spend a day in the Lord's presence. Is it possible that the Lord is using them in such profound ways that they have a voice to their country because they are hearing the voice of God? Listen, you're the only Bible some people will read. 
Are you a good translation? Let me bring it down to earth for a second. The other coach who was in this meeting this week, you, you would know probably, uh, their team made it to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament this year. In fact, I heard his press conference, and when I heard him say the word lion chaser, I was like, that's interesting. Um, and sure enough, he and uh, his pastor went to school with me. I didn't know all of this, but gave him a copy of In a Pit, and he and a bunch of the players read it, and it's a part of their culture and a part of, part of their terminology. Now, I love this guy. One of the revelations that we had is that pastors need to be a little bit more like coaches, and coaches need to be a little bit more like pastors. And it's very interesting. And so we talked about how, how they, they are a pastor to their team. Well, th- this coach, I mean, I was like, I don't even know if it's legal, but he said he prays with his team every day. In fact, first hundred days that they're on the team, they have to come in and hold his hands and pray with him, even if they don't believe in God. And he said there have been some awkward silences. <laughs> But he began to tell me about the way he loves these kids, and it's a tough love. Two of the kids come from families with both parents, an intact marriage. Um, Only four of the kids even know who their father is. And I'm thinking to myself, these 12 kids on his team are his church, and the locker room is his pulpit. And, you know, you don't abuse it, obviously, but, man, what is keeping us from getting a word from the Lord for the people in our lives? Nothing. Man, when he talked to me about the way that he is ministering, the number of kids that he's led to the Lord, man, awesome. Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. For you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I love verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I love it for a very personal reason. 16 years ago, I was preaching at a church in D.C. Uh, this is pre-NCC. And at the end of the message, the pastor invited Lord to come up, and he just wanted to pray for us. He began to pray for our ministry, and then the prayer took a dramatic turn. In fact, he turned towards Laura, and I, I noticed this. My eyes were open. I was cheating. <laughs> and he prayed for Laura. He said, and Lord, bless the little one that's within I was like, and at first I was like, what did he just say and pray? Because that was news to us. I don't know too many people have found out they were pregnant in church. A pregnancy test and a visit to the doctor next week confirmed that Laura was pregnant with Parker. It was a powerful thing. And so every time I read this verse, I formed, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I always think about how, yeah, like God knew about Parker before we knew about Parker. The truth is he knew about you way before your parents, before you were a glimmer in their eye, as it said, right? <laughs> he knew, he knew you and he appointed you. Now rewind a little bit further and, uh, This is where I get very personal. I don't know that I've ever shared this with you in 15 years. But you know the story about the cow pasture. When I was 19 years old, took a 
prayer walk. It was summer of seeking the Lord, saying, God, what do you want me to do? I was freshman at the University of Chicago, a, a pre-law major, and it was in that cow pasture that I felt like I heard the, the inaudible yet unmistakable voice of the Holy Spirit. I knew I was called to ministry, but I had no idea what that meant or what that looked like. The part that I probably haven't told you is that two weeks later, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. I think this has only happened one time this dramatically. It's like I popped awake and felt impressed to grab my Bible. I went to the foot of my bed, and I never prayed there, and I knelt down with my Bible, and I flipped it open. And I'm not saying that, like, you flip open any, meeny, money, you know, this is God's will kind of deal. Like, I don't think that, that I believe in good Bible study. You read, read the word, truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. But this is one of those instances where I kid you not, I flipped it open right to Jeremiah 1. I started reading, and, and it was like the Lord said, Mark, this is your calling. This is what I've called you to. And so whenever I read Jeremiah, I feel like I'm reading the calling that God has placed on my life because I heard the voice of the Lord. Now, that was 20 years ago. I did not fully understand what this meant. I'll be honest, I still don't fully understand what it means. But I want to share something with you because this might help you. Because I think pieces of our calling only come into clarity 10, 20, sometimes longer than that, years down the road. For, for a long, long time, the calling of Jeremiah didn't make sense to me. I was like, Lord, you probably you maybe should have picked someone else. Because I don't feel a whole lot of identification with Jeremiah. And one verse in particular bothered me where it said, I've appointed you to the nations. I've never felt any inkling towards missions to go on to the mission field to relocate our family. That's just never, I don't know. I feel like I'm here and this is where I'm supposed to be. And so it really didn't make sense. Okay, this is almost embarrassing, but it wasn't even until this week that I began to connect some dots. I'll tell you what happened. On Tuesday, I got an email from a pastor friend of mine. He said, I'm speaking at a national leadership conference for the nation of Malaysia. Visited the largest bookstore in Kuala Lumpur today. I was thrilled to see a copy of Soul Print in a very visible place in the religious section. I stopped to praise God for the influence he has given you to the nation. And it struck me. Part of me still doesn't see that. I'm like, Lord, that can't be what you meant, can it? Or could it? I don't know. I mean, books are translated into 12 languages. I get emails all the time from all around the world, people that picked up a book and, and read it. Listen, I don't know, but I felt like this week the Lord maybe connected a dot. and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I thought it meant moving to another country, but how many of you know God just fools us all the time? <laughs> Tricked you, right? It's like you think you're going here to do this. Ha, you're going here to do that but you don't even know about it yet, right? It's the sovereignty of God. Let's keep going. 
Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. I love this rebuke. Don't say it. Don't tell God what you can't do. Why? Because he's able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. But see, when we begin to find our voice, here's what I found. We'll encounter some fears, almost like the fears of public speaking, which by the way, according to every research study I've ever seen is the number one fear. It ranks above death. Okay, so you would rather die than speak in public. Is that what you're telling me? Like, this is craziness, but in the same way that so many people are afraid of speaking in public, when you begin to find your voice, you're going to come face to face with your fears. The truth is, Jeremiah is probably 16 or 17 years old, according to biblical scholars. He's a teenager. I mean, I think his voice has changed. You know, he's probably gone through puberty at this point. But I mean, he's barely talking in his baritone voice. And then God says, I'm going to appoint you as a prophet to the nations. I don't know if I'm 16. I'm thinking, what? Like, I'm too young. I don't even know how to talk. Here's a lesson I've learned. If you want to find your voice, use it. And what do you mean by that? Listen, I've taken so many gift assessments, and, and, I, and I love them. And I love personality assessments, and I love strength assessments. But you can take those until the day you die. Listen, the way you discover your gifts is not through a gift assessment. The way you discover your gifts is by discovering what you're bad at. You do stuff. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. And eventually, somewhere along the way, but I'm all right at this. Huh. See, I think the way that you discover what you love is by discovering what you hate. The way you discover what you're good at is by discovering what you're bad at. You got to try different things. I majored in psychology in grad school because I thought counseling was going to be my shtick. You give me 50 minutes and I will change your life forever. If you come to me for counseling, you're going to need additional counseling to undo my counseling. I don't have the patience for it. I, when people come in and hurting, I'm like, quit complaining. Like, that doesn't work so well. It's just, it's not my thing. I'm not wired for it. And that's okay. I thought that was going to be my voice, but it's not. I think you got to try different things. That's part of the deal. I think one thing we saw during this series is, is how, did, how did everybody find their voice? Well, Bob Goff, consul from Uganda, finds his voice through a prank. Remember? Pranks his friend. He thinks his friend is pranking him back. That leads him down this route, and the next thing he knows, he finds himself in Uganda. Eli found his voice through, through tragedy. Listen, falling out of that window, it's how he found his voice. What a beautiful spirit. And he's glorifying God in the way that he's using it. 
I think Lisa got, found her voice via adoption. And that gave her a platform. She ended up on Oprah. Um, they're, they're making a, a musical and a film uh, with a major studio. I mean, how, how does that happen? Well, it started with an adoption. And I think Michael Hall, I mean, let's just be honest. I think Michael's found his voice over a lifetime of faithfulness. He just served God for a long time. And when you serve God for a long time, guess what? God will use you in some amazing ways. Quit making excuses. You will never have enough education. You'll never have enough experience. Never have enough uh, friends on Facebook. (laughs) I'm just searching at this point. (laughs) You'll never have enough money in the bank, right? You'll never be ready, ever, never. Here's what I've learned. Whatever God calls you to, I promise you this, it will always be beyond your ability and beyond your resources. Why? Because then you have to rely on God. Then he is the one that has to get you where he wants you to go. Let me just say one thing right here. The Lord says, don't be afraid of them. I think the Lord says the same thing to us. Can I, can I just say that I honestly believe that it's either the fear of people or the fear of God. It's one or the other. Now, if you fear God, you don't have to fear people. It, just, it sets you free. Why? Because you're just saying what God's told you to say. But if you don't fear God, I think the fear of people is going to hover over you like a cloud that will not go away. And that fear of people is going to bring you down. One thought. How do I start finding my voice? Can I give you a simple way? Revelation 12 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I think the, the best way that you find your voice is you, you just share your testimony. And here's the beautiful thing about a testimony. No one can argue with it. I remember here a long, long time ago, Rick Warren said he always includes testimonies in his messages. And I remember the reason. He said, because it's the difference between a car salesman and a satisfied customer. I mean, I guess that'd make me the car salesman. I don't like that part. But a satisfied customer. No one can argue with your testimony because you're just sharing what God has done, who God is. Share that testimony with others. That's how you find your voice. All right, a couple of last thoughts. Verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, what's the deal about the almond tree? Well, the significance may be that it's one of the first trees to bloom in Palestine. So before the leaves came out, uh, it would put forth these white, kind of snowy-looking blossoms, if you will, and it was the promise of spring, the sign that the season was changing. Oh, I like that. Listen, 
Maybe you're here this weekend. You've been in a tough season. Listen, there's an almond tree, and that season could be about to change. And so Jeremiah gets this prophetic word and then says, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I love the language here because the word watching is a word that would have been used in that culture of shepherds watching their flocks. And just as a shepherd watches his sheep to make sure that none of them wander off, what Jeremiah is saying uh, and repeating from the Lord is that the Lord is watching over his word to make sure that not one word wanders off. That not one word, not one promise, not one jot or tittle of his word will return void. That is the power of God's word. And you know what? We've got to stand on it. He is watching over his word. He's watching over Romans 8, 28. He's watching over Luke 6, 38. He's watching over Matthew 18, 18. He is watching over all of his promises. He is watching and waiting because the same God who made the promise, there is nothing that he loves more than to keep those promises. That's why he made them in the first place. Got a cool email this week from someone who had read The Circle Maker and shared with me how they were putting it into practice. Because I talk about how it's one thing to pray our words, but it's another thing to pray the word of God. When we pray the word of God, we can have a little bit more confidence, actually a lot more confidence, actually holy confidence. And they said, here's what we did. We went over to Home Depot, about 10 paving stones. We took some paint and some promises and verses that we're believing for that have been in our hearts, we started painting them on these paving stones. And then we laid them in our patio. And every day we go out there and we stand on those pavers. We stand on the word of God and we pray the promises of God. I thought, what an awesome application. How many of you are doing landscaping the rest of the weekend? Let me see your hands. I love it. What we, what we need are these reminders. Sometimes I, I like praying just almost kind of carrying my Bible with me. I walk and pray on the rooftop of Ebenezer's, and sometimes I'll just, God, thank you. I take you at your word. I take you at your word. I believe it. You're true to your promises. Verse 17, and we're done. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, don't be terrified or I'll terrify you before them. And I love this. Today I've made you a, this is like a 16-year-old kid. Like at 16, at least me in my high school, you got like these spindly little legs you can barely stand on. Look like a bunch of flamingos. (laughs) But God says to this 16-year-old Jeremiah, I mean, he's not even shaven yet. He just has a little bit of peach fuzz, right? His voice is still cracking. And the Lord says, today I've made you a fortified city. Oh, I can receive that word. 
an iron pillar, a bronze wall. Wow. God raises him up. But he says, get yourself ready. At the end of the day, I honestly believe that when we put things to prayer, the beautiful thing about that is that it's no longer our responsibility. It's God's responsibility. By the way, it's the same thing when we tithe. When we give God the first 10% of our income, the Lord says, test me in this, then the the other 90% is no longer our responsibility. It's God's responsibility to keep his promises. There's no other way to live than to just live by the promises of God, live in obedience, live by faith. And when you do that, the responsibility is off of your shoulders. And so I just think at the end of the day, it's not even about finding your voice. It's just about hearing the voice of God. And if you hear the voice of God, you're going to find your voice and you're going to be fine. God's going to use you. Five or six weeks ago, Got a call from a member of Congress. Doesn't happen often. Wanted to come over and meet with me at Ebenezer's. I thought, shouldn't I be going to the Capitol? I wasn't sure why. Um, We sat down and he shared his journey with me. What a story. He was the director of one of the largest Christian camps in the country. Loving life preaching on the weekends, felt like he was doing exactly what God had created him to do. And then one day, he said, I was in prayer, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, get ready. He said, honestly, I was like, get ready for what? Like, I'm living the dream. And over months, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. So one morning... He's reading the newspaper, and he's flipping through the pages, and he comes to a story about the congresswoman that represented his district and a rumor that she might be running for governor, which would leave an empty seat. The only problem with that is that this would be the last thing on his mind, not a political bone in his body. Didn't even know the boundaries of his congressional district. So he went on his computer, look up county statistics, and his wife walked in and says, what are you looking at? He says, I'm looking at county statistics. And she said, we're running for Congress, aren't we? Never talked about it, never thought about it. But while he was reading that article, I forgot this little piece. The Holy Spirit said, this is it. This is it. This is it. Now, here's the problem. No network, no resources, no nothing. I mean, there's no way he's going to win unless a few months before the election, the front runner would just happen to drop out of the race, which is exactly what happened. And he was elected and is serving his second term. The reason why he came over is because when he felt prompted to run, a friend of his had given him a copy of Wild Goose Chase. He said, I thought I'd lost my mind. It was just crazy for me to think about doing this. And he said, as I read that book, I realized that Holy Spirit's a little crazy. (laughs) 
uh, that maybe this was God's plan and purpose. By the way, he also said he had read the circle maker and every morning on the fifth floor of his congressional building, he's circling it in prayer. And he's praying for his constituents, for his colleagues, for his country. I think that's pretty awesome. But here's my point. He's found a voice. God's given him a platform that he never imagined that he would have. I mean, he's coming from camp. Ernest goes to camp. (laughs) Working with all these kids, you know, trying to get them to take showers in the morning and go to sleep at night and like camp director. The next thing you know, he's walking the halls of Congress. How does that happen? I don't know, but when the Holy Spirit says, get ready, you better get ready. And if you do, you'll find your voice. It might be 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now. Is that okay with you? It better be. Because if it's not, listen, it's God's will, God's way, in God's time. And if he says, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations, I'm sorry, but that's what you are. That is your lot in life. That is what you are destined to do. Get yourself ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It does not return void. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond and a will that would yield to the will of God so that your plans and purposes could be accomplished in us. God, not so that you would serve our purposes, but so that we would serve your purposes, O God. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.